Uh, well, listen, you come on a really good Sunday. And uh, here's the thing. If you were here last week, you heard me say that. And if you're here, ne here next week, I'm going to say it again because I feel like every time that we get to join together uh, in community is a really uh, good Sunday. And uh, I'm excited uh, to jump in uh, with what we got going today. Last week, we kicked off a new collection called Summer Playlist, and uh, here at the Becoming Church, we speak in what we call collection. So basically, we take a thought and we extract it out and just uh, dive into some observations, some truths from that uh, for a number of weeks, and that's what we uh, began last week uh, with Summer Playlist. And the idea behind Summer Playlist is all of us, we got a soundtrack to our lives, a soundtrack that we live to. And if you think about some of your favorite songs, especially summertime, like you can go back, you can hear that song today, and it'll take you back to a moment, right? If I, if, I, if we were to play Before I Let Go, some of you going to go back to a moment right here, right? If I was to throw on some, some fantasy, some Mariah Carey, right, it's going to take you back to a moment. And if we were to press play on swag surfing, a lot of you going to go all the way back to a moment. Some of you like, swag surfing, what is that that he talks about? But my point is this, values are those things, are those principles that we get to live by, are those principles that we get to go by. And last week, the value of our church that we discussed was this, Jesus is our message. Because here's the thing, everyone has a message to carry. Everyone has something to say. And I just feel like this, if we're followers of Jesus, the thing that we should say, the thing that we should be speaking and sharing and living is the message of Jesus. And here's what we uh, extracted last week. And now this list isn't all encompassing. The message of Jesus is so much more than this, but these are very vital, is that Jesus is grace. Listen, we are here uh, because of his grace, but he's also truth. In fact, in John 1:14, it talks about he embodied grace and truth. So we don't live in a way where we separate those two, but those two come together. And then we also landed at Jesus is life. So while uh, the enemy may have come to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. And so that's the conversation that we uh, jumped into last week. And today I'm excited to continue uh, diving into summer uh, playlists and to help lead us off in a conversation today is John. It's going to be John chapter 2 verses 13 uh, through 17. Uh, so you can flip with me there, you can scroll with me there, or you can join in right here uh, on the screen. And what has become custom here at the Becoming Church is that we stand for the reading of God's word. So if you would join me uh, in that and standing for the reading of his word. It's John chapter 2 verse 13. It says this, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all, drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And then here at verse 17, his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Come on, let's pray. Father, we're grateful and thankful for this moment and space that we share. God, thank you for this day, for this moment that you ordained for us to be here. And so, Lord, that means that, God, that's, there's something specific that you have to say to all of us, that you're intentional. Everything you do has intentionality behind it that you fulfill. And so, Lord, I thank you that you're big enough 
to speak a unique thing to all of us at this same time. And so, Lord, here's what we're saying. God, open up our eyes. Allow us to see what it is that you're speaking to us. Open up our ears. Allow us to hear what it is that you're saying. Because here's the thing. God, we're your servants. And so we say this. Speak, Lord, because we're listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Come on, come on. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Listen, family. I'm probably about to divide the room, or perhaps I can stir up some division right now uh, in the room. And you may be asking, like, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be about unity? Yes, 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 but that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Here's what I mean. If I ask this question, which generation had the best? And I just left it blank. So just right there, you're already thinking. Your generation has the best whatever. It doesn't even matter what I say. But if I say, which generation has the best music? You already like, oh, for sure. I don't know what they were talking about back then, or I don't even know what they're mumbling today, right? You're you already going to make your generation as the supreme generation. And let me just say this. I don't know. Here's where I am. And I need you guys to help me with this. I don't, I don't know if it's just a reflection of, like, I'm getting older. But help me with this. I, I just, the, the, the music of to, today's music, I have a hard time with it. So I'm like, is it, is it bad? Because it's just, <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> is it bad because it's just bad? Or is it because I'm like, yo, this was my time. And so I'm, I'm right here and all this stuff is, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just pondering that. I wasn't, you, you, you gave me your response and that's cool. <laughs> but which generation has the best music? Which generation has the best movies, right? Which generation... Uh, has the best actors, and here's one. Which generation has the best athletes, right? That's a big one right there. There's a lot of discussion around that, and it takes place in every sport, but I don't think it takes place more than any sport other than in basketball, and it's really around this question. You already know where I'm going. Who is the GOAT, right? Who is the greatest of all time? And I'm not going to sit here today and, and, and give you my answer. I'm not going to go into that. We can talk afterwards. Some of you already know where I stand on that. And, um, yeah, I'm going to leave it alone. Um, but everyone has, you ask anyone from different generations, they're going to have something to say. Some are going to say Bill Russell. Others are going to say Kareem. Some are going to say Magic. Uh, some are going to say uh, uh, MJ. Some are going to say Kobe. Some are going to say LeBron. Some are going to say uh, Jokic, which is a joke, but but people are starting to to say that. You know, he's a great player, but come on, guys, we gotta you just gotta be real here, right? And in this discussion, there's one thing from this discussion I do want to lean on a little bit from what past generations say about the present generation. They'll say, you know what, this current generation, although they may be skilled and talented in all these things. One thing that they lack is passion. Now, on the surface level, you're like, wait a minute, what do you mean they lack passion? Because I see them training, I see them in camps, I see them involved in all these things. What do you mean they lack passion? Well, previous generations, I'm not saying this is me, so hold your tomatoes. But previous generations will say, oh, yeah, that all looks good. But once you peel back the layers, the passion is gone. And here's what they say. They say, 
watch a superstar in today's generation once they secure that max contract and watch how automatically the passion for the game goes down. Because they'll say, we played the game because we love the game. And because how we play, we advance the game. And now there's contracts and big deals and endorsements. And so this generation of players grew up watching the money come. And so their aim to play wasn't because of a passion and love for the game. Their aim to play was because of the money that will come with the game. So once they get the check, there you see what happens with the passion. And now while I'm not necessarily giving my answer, but you know there's a guy who wore number eight and 24 that when he got the big checks, the game never changed him. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But here's what I'm getting at, family. If we're not careful, for those of us who follow the way of Jesus, we can look just like that. That we can be followers of the way of Jesus and everything about us appear that we live in a way that is passionate about following God, about living for Jesus. But when the moment comes, when life just lifes and situations happen and things occur, when you peel back the layers, we actually lack passion. That what we were passionate about were the things that God could do to us, not necessarily who God was to us. There's a difference, right? Oftentimes, it is easy to praise God when you're believing for the miracle, when you're believing for the breakthrough. But what happens when his answer is no or not right now? Can that same passion and zeal be there? We can find ourselves being a mile wide, but only an inch deep. We can find ourselves being like the ones that Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, where he says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That they worship me in vain, their teachings are merely human rules. And so we'll put all these things into place that says, well, because I do this, then I act like this, then I talk like this, and I sound like this, that I'm passionate about God. And he's saying, you'll worship me in vain. Those are merely human rules that you live by. But when you pull back the layers, you don't have passion for me. Listen, that's not who we are as a church community. And let me take it a step further. That's not who we are as followers of the way of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, then that doesn't apply to you. Now, my prayer is that at some point in your life and in this journey that you will trust him and follow him. But in the meantime, this is a moment and opportunity to peer into this discussion uh, as we examine and step back and look at our lives and ask ourselves this question, are we passionate about God? One of our values here at the Becoming Church is this, passion is our standard. Notice I said it's the standard. It's the beginning ground that we are passionate about coming together, united together with one heart, with one mission to lift up the name of Jesus. That when we step into this place corporately, that it's not about an opinion, it's not about a rant, it's not about my agenda and what I want to do, but we are coming together to say, Lord, what are you doing in a moment? Lord, how are you leading us? Lord, where are you taking us? Lord, how, how do I need to respond to this moment? We are passionate about him and passion is our standard. So everything we do, we do it with passion. When our, our greeters, when they're at the door, they're not smiling because it's fake. 
They're smiling and waving at you because they're serving with passion. When the team is leading, that's not extra. Why he got to jump like that? Why he got to spin like that? Why you got to raise your hands like that? Oh, that's not necessary. Listen, that's passion, but let me go back to what's necessary. You can't tell them what God has done in their life. So they say, yo, you can be still, you can be stale, and you can be stuck. But I'm going to give God praise because I recognize what he has done in my life. And that means if that's a little jump, if that's a little spin, then watch out. Didn't mean to step on your J's, but excuse me a little bit while I get excited and express passion for my God. Now, let me bring some balance to that. Passion doesn't mean because you jump, spin, hang from a chandelier, but passion is the position of your heart. Where is your heart towards God? Where is your heart towards what he has done in your life and what is ahead of you and what he wants to do in your life? So we say it like this. Passion is our standard. And so for the next few moments, I want us to have a conversation about what it means to be passionate about God and where that passion should be directed and how that passion should be directed. Are y'all up for that? Awesome. We got a deal, so let's do it. So we know Jesus to be this humble, friendly, loving guy, right? You think about Jesus, like, yes, that describes Jesus well. He's, he's humble. He's, he's full of humility. Like, he, when he stepped into this side of eternity, like, he, he laid down his divinity and he walked life just like us. He took the humble position of a servant, what Philippians 2 tells us. So, yes, he's humble. He's friendly. You know, you can sing the song, I am a friend of God. Yes, he's, he's friendly. Jesus loves you. This I know, right? We know all of that. Those things would describe Jesus. But can I say this? Jesus is not the soft, timid, weak, passionate guy, excuse me, passive man in which he's often portrayed. And, and I'm going to explain that in just a moment. But you know that image? You may have seen this image. Have you seen the image where there's this image of, you know, what is portraying to be Jesus and he's carrying this lamb? Have any of you guys seen that? Yes? Yes? Some of, some of you? Anybody? Okay, okay, okay. I just want to make sure because then otherwise this whole illustration is just no good. <laughs> but you, we've seen that image. He's carrying the lamb. And you can have lots of thoughts around. If you, I don't know, maybe if you ever ask questions like, why is he holding that lamb? What, what happened to the lamb? Did the lamb get hurt? Wow, perhaps. And Jesus just being who he is, he's like, I'm going to pick up this lamb and carry this lamb. How amazing. That's, that's really awesome. Or maybe like, man, maybe... This, this lamb just was tired and needed a break, needed a rest, couldn't keep up with the flock. And so Jesus just picked the lamb up. Or maybe you ask the question, well, there was a hundred of them, and this was the one that got away. So Jesus left the 99 for that one. That is a picture of him going for the one. Maybe that's what it is. Well, let me just, let me, let me just say this. I'm going to wreck your idea of that picture. You got, and here's how I'm going to wreck it by first explaining the role of a shepherd. So the role of a shepherd is to care for the flock, right? It's to protect the flock, look out for the flock. And here's one of the ways that the shepherd will care for the flock. Oftentimes there will be um, a lamb that will just get away, just wander. I don't know if you have small kids and you're out in public, you got a kid that just wanders away, right? So these lambs, they would just wander, they get off. And so to bring correction and teaching on how to stay with the flock, 
what a shepherd would do, they would take that rod that they were carrying, that staff, they were, and they would strike their legs to the point that they would break the legs of the lamb. Not exactly what you were thinking, was it? So could it be that picture you see is the picture of a lamb with broken legs? And you may say, how cruel of a shepherd to do that. But there were some reasons why they would do that. One, so that when those legs heal, they would know to stay with the flock, not to wander off. If you're over there, I can't see you. I don't know what's going on. I can't, I can't protect you. But as you're staying into the flock, you're staying into this place, which this would preach on its own, there's protection, there's love, there's care. And here's another benefit of you know, benefit of broken legs. Here's another benefit. Because he was the shepherd was carrying the lamb, he would constantly, that, that lamb would constantly hear the voice of the shepherd. So now amongst all noise and all distractions and everything else that's going on, once those legs are healed, they're not going to get off or distracted. They're going to be so in tune to the voice of the shepherd. So listen to me. Sometimes when you're hurting, when you find yourself in a difficult season of life, don't go off and filling your life with the noise of everything else. Will you just get close to the shepherd? Will you just get close to Jesus, to the one who is the good shepherd, so you can hear what he's saying about your life, so he can hear the plans that he has for your life? So perhaps I'm going to challenge your thinking. When you thought thy rod and thy staff will comfort me, thy rod and thy staff will break your legs. If you get the wandering off. <laughs> You're like, is that the point? No. Here's the point. The point that I'm painting is this. Jesus was passionate. That he wasn't the weak, timid uh, man that he's often uh, portrayed as. But Jesus was passionate. He lived with passion. He was direct. And he knew how to handle the moment. And that's exactly what he did right here in John chapter 2. So in John chapter 2, just bringing some context to what we read a few moments ago, uh, it was Passover that they were getting ready for, and Passover is what Jews celebrate to commemorate uh, the great exodus out of Egypt. And so in this time, uh, they would travel from all over into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And, you know, they didn't travel uh, by Tesla or F-150, right? It, it was a different mode of, of travel, of, of transportation. And so them and the, their whole caravan and all the people that were coming in will often uh, um, get animals for sacrifice right there because that's one less thing to bring with everything else that's coming with them. And so what happened, you have these people who saw an opportunity uh, to, to make money off of this, to bring a taxation into this. And so they would charge these outrageous prices for people to be able to get uh, animals to make uh, sacrifice. And so when Jesus stepped into the temple course and see what's going on, it, 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 caused him to respond in this way where he expressed passion by getting a whip and driving the money changers and everything out. Why? Not because he was angry and he was responding with anger or he sinned or this because he's the one who knew no sin, but what was moved by his heart in that moment that people were putting up obstacles and, and distractions from people being able to honor God. And it was in this moment that the disciples in verse 17 was reminded of what scripture says in Psalm 69 and 9, that zeal for your house consumes me. 
Jesus was passionate about the house of God. He was passionate about people being able to come together. Here's a question. Are we passionate about the house of God? Do we have excitement? Do we step into this place with energy and expectation? Or do we step into here and saying it's the worship team's job to get me going? That, that the energy and expectation and excitement that I'm going to have is going to be based on, well, did they wave at me in the parking lot? And listen, we want to wave at you in the parking lot. We want to help you check your children in well. We want to get you to a seat in this place. But listen, we cannot allow or rely on people to prime us up for being passionate about our God. That I don't need you to necessarily lead me, in, uh, lead me into that song. I don't need you to tell me God is good, isn't he? No. I know he is good because what I've experienced in my life, I know he is good because what he has done in my life. While it's great to be reminded by others, I'm reminded by myself when I look at my story and I say my story shouldn't be what my story is. It only is what it is because of how God stepped into the middle of it. That when I wasn't considering him, that he was considering me. And so I can have passion about him and the things of him because I recognize who he is and what he's done in my life. And then I can step and say, you know what? While awesome it is what he's done in my life, there needs to be passion there simply because of who he is. Can we praise God for who he is, not what he has done for us? I believe that's the mark of a mature believer, that my excitement and my zeal for the Lord is high regardless if he answered the prayer in the way that I wanted him to answer. Because what comes with that is this perspective that is beyond the here and now, but it's living with the heavenly and eternity focus. So meaning if there is something that I was believing for that did not materialize in the way or at all that I was looking forward to, then that means that there's something different, bigger, and better that God has on the other end. So there takes maturity to know that and understand that and still declare that God is good and still declare that God is holy and still declare that God is righteous and still declare that he is sovereign and still declare that there's no one like him and still declare that he is one of one and still declare that he stands by himself. Are you getting what I'm saying that we have to get to a place where God is who he is because he is God. Yes, and because he's God, there are things that he will do and there are ways that he will move on our behalf. But if he doesn't, can we still say, God, you are good? That's the mark of a mature believer. And if you believe that, can you give God some praise for that? Come on. So I'll say this. I believe church is something that should be life-giving and something that we should enjoy, not something that sucks the life out of you and that you have to endure. So we want this environment to be life-giving. We want you to come in here on Sundays and feel like, man, that place gave me life, not took the life from me. But you know what makes this place life-giving is when we all come in, in here full of zeal, full of passion, full of energy and excitement for the Lord. And so sometimes people may say, and you heard me say this before, I don't know, maybe it's just become one of those things of our church, that sometimes people will say, well, man, it's a whole vibe in there. And I'm like, it's not a vibe. 
what happened was you stepped in the presence of God because of expectation from all of us in here. You felt that. That was the Holy Spirit. And then the next step is that our prayer is that from what you felt, the presence of God, that you go and get a vision for your life. And that's what we want to see happen here. And, and, and I, I say it this way. Revelation happens on Sundays, but transformation happens throughout the week. So it's awesome to come in here and God, uh, through his providence, he reveals things to us. We experience and gain revelation here, but now the transformation happens outside of the Sundays. It happens on the Mondays and to Saturdays. And the avenue that we put in place for that are belong groups, get in a community. Everyone says, I, ha- I don't have time. I know everybody in the world doesn't have time. We know that already. we got to find another thing if, if I'm, I'm just going to be honest, right? But here, hear me. Community is work, but it's worth it. So how much do we want community? If you want it, we got to work for it because we are not called to live an isolated life, but we're called to live a life together in community. And here's why groups are so amazing, so important, which groups, we have summer groups, which summertime groups typically take a dip, but we have our highest number ever of people active in groups. We have our highest number of groups that we've ever had right here in the summer. A season where people are traveling and all over the place. And you know what happens because of that? When we step in here on a Sunday, it feels a little different. Because this is a Super Bowl moment, if you will. This is a celebratory moment. Because we weren't waiting for church to happen. We've been having church all throughout the week. So now when we come together, it's a celebration is what's happening. So all that happens when we come with an approach of living with passion. And I'm going to give us this morning... Three, I'm going to make three observations of what passion looks like. And I'm going to do that very quickly. Y'all, y'all believe that. You do. Go like that. You do. You do. <laughs> nobody, Solomon, nobody backed you up on that one. I, I appreciate the faith, man. <laughs> Here's the first observation of what passion looks like. Passion looks like prayer. Passion looks like prayer. Family, I get up very early in the morning and I go to the gym and I, go, and, I, and I work out, but I'm disappointed because I'm not seeing the results I want to see. And it's like, why are you getting up that early and going to the gym then? And so when I, when I analyze, why am I not seeing the results I, I want to see? I'm going to the gym, I'm lifting weights, I'm hitting the treadmill. And when I, do, when I analyze why, it's because of what I eat. I, I'm supposed to choose the kale salad. But instead, I, I, I choose the, the, the pizza salad. I don't know if that's a thing. I'm just, you know, trying to say something. I can't even name something else, healthy kale. What else do you have? I don't know. But I choose everything but that. And I trick myself. I go to Chick-fil-A. I was like, yeah, let me get the cob. But it's got the fried chicken on it. And I feel good in a moment, right? And, you know, it's got the ranch and the cheese and the bacon. But I'm like, hey, I had a salad. You did good. But I'm not seeing the difference I want. Why? Because we know, you've heard this, the difference is made in the kitchen. That it's what? What they say, abs are made in the kitchen, that it's it's 80% what you eat and only 20% are working out. I'm like, well, I, I'm not into math, but those ratios, those percentages are not ones that, that I like, you know? And, and that's why I'm not seeing the difference that, that I want to see. So here's where I'm going with this. Could it be that we're not seeing the difference in our lives is because we're not praying? 
Because here's the thing about prayer. Prayer is the difference maker. Prayer is what brings change. Prayer is what allows for things to happen. And let me say this. Sometimes it's not the change that prayer brings. What happens is prayer may not change the situation, but it will change how we see the situation. Because through prayer, we get a revelation from God to see, like, hey, here's how you need to move on this. Here's how you need to respond to that. And so now we can walk confidently and assured because we've heard from the Lord and how to handle the situation. Now, the situation is still the same. It didn't change, but we did. But we don't get that when we don't find ourselves in prayer. And here's what James says about prayer in James 5.16. He says this, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. And here's, here's why we need to be people of prayer, because it's powerful. It's effective. It makes a difference. But what I often hear on why uh, we don't pray, why we are not people who are consistently praying is because we don't have time. Because we're always busy, the calendar is full, and so much is happening. But I will push back to that reason and say this. The biggest challenge to prayer is not time, but it's desire, right? It's because we lack a desire for prayer is the reason why we don't pray. And I know this to be true because if I desire something, I'm going to get it, right? Here we are talking about diet. So Friday night, Katie and I were out on a date. And this particular place, they have carrot cake on the menu. And when the server came back and was like, hey, you guys make room for dessert? And my mom's like, I don't know if I made room for it, but, you know, I can. <laughs> and uh, I was like, no, no, no. Well, well I looked at Katie first. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> she's like, no, I'm good. <sighs> I was like, you sure? You sure? You sure? And I was like, oh, we're fine. You're fine. And uh, I was like, L- riding home, I was like, I should have gotten that carrot cake. <laughs> so then Saturday, uh, the, the kids were with my parents, so we went and picked them up. And then um, we're like, hey, you know, time, you know, Sunday's coming, and let's just get something. I'm like, where you want to go? Oh, I chose a place, a different restaurant that has carrot cake that I know that I liked. And we had and we we had to drive, I don't know, it was about 40 minutes from my parents' house to this place, past our house and everything, <laughs> to go to this restaurant to get that carrot cake. Meaning time had no nothing in that moment. But the whole reason why we were eating out was supposed to be because of time and getting ready for Sunday morning. But instead, because I had a desire, I went and got that carrot cake. So I'm saying that perhaps the challenge to prayer is not time, but it's actually desire. But, yes, but what if we did this? What if, you, what if we just began, right? Because prayer, I believe, is a muscle that can strengthen over time. And so if we just begin, if we just start, that desire will grow. So as we put into practice the practice of prayer, then our desire to pray will grow. And here's another thing I hear, like, man, I'm just not that spiritual. Well, listen, prayer is spiritual, but it's also practical. And, and 
I'll challenge the definition of spiritual. We just say we're not that spiritual because examples that we may have heard growing up made it appear that it had to be that way, but that was just a whole bunch of noise and, and things. Not all of it. You understand what I'm saying. But it was things that people just put on to think that it had to be that way. But a prayer is nothing more than a conversation. It's, it's releasing your thoughts to God and saying, Lord, what do you have to say back? So I get to pray, Lord, help me with this. I'm dealing with this and all this. And then you just be quiet and you listen for that quiet, still voice, right? It's literally a conversation. I'm not just demeaning it to a simple conversation that we have with a friend, but it is. It's like, what is going on on the inside of me? Say it to the Lord and get his perspective back on what he has to say about that. So it's spiritual and it's practical. It's spiritual because it's a holy connection to a holy God, but it's practical because you and I can do it. It's not just for the intercessors. It's not just for the prayer warriors. It's not just for the prayer team, but it's for all of us. You and I can do it. And another thing, I'm just listening to some things that people say, why we don't pray. Another thing is this. Well, I don't pray because I don't know how to pray. Well, here's how to pray. Pray God's word. Why? Because praying God's word is the clearest way to pray God's will because God's word is his will. What's God's will for my life? Go read his word. What's God's will for my life? Pray his word. Look at Psalms 119, 105. It says this, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. If you need guidance, if you need direction, if you need clarity, if you need to know what is the next move, then find yourself in the word of God. Yo, I don't know what the King James is saying, and I understand that. Go get the NLT. Go get the NIV. Go get a translation. There are some that we should not do, but go get a translation that you understand. And just making this thing practical. You don't know the context, what it means. Google it, and there are good resources available. In fact, we'll put that together. We'll make that available so that you can feel equipped on where do I even begin with reading the word of God. But it is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Oftentimes people say, Lord, I need a word, I need a word. And so they they go to, oh, this person's prophetic. Let me go get around this person. Let me go to that conference. And he's like, you don't have to search for a word if you just get in my word. Because they can only say what I've already said. And if they say something that I haven't said, then you need to run, right? Because the word has to be confirmed what God is saying. There's no new revelation. We stand up up here and we declare what's been declared for a long time. If you hear somebody that's like, yo, that was new. I've never, ever, ever seen that. That ain't what it says, my guy. That's not what it says. You need to check that. You need to submit that to, to someone else and like, yo, help me understand this. Because we're all preaching the same thing that's just been said. Now, what happens is there could be a new perspective in how you see it and what is being applied to. But it can't be no new that in all the people that's preached this thing has not seen, but this person has seen. It ain't working like that. So you, you need to have the checks in there as well. But I'll say this. One more thing about prayer, and then we're going we're gonna to blaze through, I promise. So we say pray, but it's not just, well, I prayed about it, right? It's not just I prayed about it, but what did you do from it, right? We can't stop at praying. It's not enough to pray about it, but we must respond to it. So I'll say it this way. Petitions are made in the prayer room, but change is determined by what happens when you leave the prayer room, meaning there's a requirement of obedience. Did you do what God said, right? So people say, well, I prayed about it. I didn't see anything change. 
But did you do what the Lord said to do? Man, I'm praying that our finances get together so, so we can purchase a home for our family. Meanwhile, headed to Vegas. Meanwhile, after Vegas, headed to the Bahamas. Don't you want to save and get things to pay down debt, right? So it's spiritual, but what else is it? It's practical. You know, unfortunately, there's these um, tragedies and things that happen have happened in, in our nation. And there's a group of people that said, well, we'll keep your prayers because we need action. But I said, no, 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 baby. We need the prayers because it's the prayers that allows us to see the right actions that we need to take. So don't get caught up and mix this up with all of this political rhetoric when it comes to prayer. No, prayer is the thing that changes things. Prayer is the thing that makes a difference when we respond to obedience with it. So, no, give me the prayers. And that's why we say this. We pray first here. It's not a last resort option, but it's the first choice response. So when the news breaks, when it happens, when you find out the story, don't worry about it. Pray about it, right? Don't sit there doubting about it. Pray about it and get God's perspective, get heaven's perspective on it. And, Micah, if you will come, because what I've figured out or Matthew or somebody, because what I figured out, if, if you play, I'll just start landing the plane. I'll figure that out. I'm not, I'm not going to get a chance to finish this. But I'm going to give you these observations. And, and I do want to say this before I leave prayer. We value prayer here as a church. This church was birthed because Katie and I spent 21 days of prayer and heard the Lord to say, this is what's coming to this community, the becoming church. So this is a result of, of prayer. And we believe in it. And that's why we're going on a journey of 21 days of prayer starting in August. In fact, we're putting together a resource guide that you will be able to have to equip you in praying. People say, I don't know how to pray. So we're going to equip you, give you a guide to help you to, to, to be confident in your ability to just pray and, and talk to the Lord. On uh, in August, on the third Saturday, we're going to be getting a, a, a Saturday morning prayer. Every third Saturday is going to take place right here at Horizon. Why? Because we make prayer a priority. We are passionate about prayer. Here's the next observation. We're passionate about praise and worship. Listen, there's a lot that I want to say here, but I want to, I want to get to this. We are instruments of worship. And you can go back to the notes and kind of track where we were going to go. But we are instruments of worship. So Romans 12, 1 tells us, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It is one of the reasons why the enemy hates us so much, because we are a reflection and a reminder of what he no longer is. Because there was a moment where that's what he was responsible for until he thought that the worship was to be directed towards him. And so him and everything that thought like that were kicked out. And so now we are a reflection, a reminder of what he isn't. And so God created us in his image, and, and in that we are instruments of worship. Here's what I'm saying. Instruments fall in three categories. There are percussion, strings, and winds. So when you clap your hands, that's an expression of percussions. 
your vocal cords. That's an expression of strings. And then when breath passes over those vocal cords, what is that? That's expression of winds. We are instruments of worship, and it is our reasonable response to worship. Now, when I say worship, I'm not talking about a set list. That's an aspect of worship, but that doesn't define all of what worship is. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a way of living. Worship is saying, I'm submitting my life, my will, my plans, everything to God. It's like tomorrow morning, getting up, stepping into your closet and saying, Lord, what should I wear today? It's about saying, Lord, what should I eat? What, what, what should we do for dinner tonight? You say, man, that's a little deep. No, it's, it's recognizing that my life is not my own, that I have been bought with a price. And it's a reminder that the highest form of worship is submission, that I'm submitting my life and everything of it to God. You know what that's going to require? It's going to require a sacrifice. Hebrews 13 and 15 says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So sometimes you're like, Lord, I don't feel like it. Lord, I don't want to. Lord, because of what's go- this is not the time now. And he says none of that is, is relevant. It's irrelevant because that's the whole point of it being a sacrifice of praise that is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something to open up your mouth and declare the goodness of God. It's going to cost you something to pray in that moment where you don't want to pray instead. You'd rather complain and sit in all of the difficulties of the moment. It's going to cost you something, but that's what makes it a sacrifice of praise. But family, there is something supernatural that happens that says, in spite of what I'm feeling, in spite of what I'm going through, I'm going to open up my mouth and declare the goodness of God because my ability and reason for praying was not based on what he can do for me, but it's based on who he is. It is a sacrifice of praise. And lastly, here's an observation of what passion looks like. Passion looks like considering others. Listen, family, we're not meant to live this life chasing what we want. That we're not meant to live this life like I got to chase the bag. I got to secure the bag. I got to take care of me and mine. Yes, get the bag, make the money, have the lake house, drive the car, do all of that things, all those things. But don't do it at the expense of others. Don't do it that says I'm going to kick you off this ladder while I tried to climb it. That's not how we're intended to live, but instead we are intended to live meeting the needs of others. When the church was birthed, they took care of the needs of the community, and we're not supposed to get away from that. Now, you can hear this statement and say, how can I meet the needs of everyone that's in need? God is not asking us to do that. What he's asking us to do is to consider the one. What can you do for one that if you could, you could do for many? How can you pray for one person? How can you believe for one person? How can you have faith for one person? How can you be generous towards one person? How can you share the gospel for one person? How can you have compassion for one person? Think about the power of just one person being impacted by the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ, family. Here's what we can't do. We can't discount the power of multiplicity when God is involved because just one life, come on, can set off a chain reaction that changes changes generations and generations. Remember, he's a God that operates in three generations. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What could it look like if you're praying for somebody who was an Abraham to their family? 
Think about the Isaac that's coming. Think about the Jacob that's coming. It all starts with one. So while we may think and the enemy may say, well, it was just one. No, there's, there's so many more behind the just one. God's math is different than ours. And here's a great story of the power of one. There's a story of Billy Graham. You may be familiar with this and you may be have heard of this man named Edward Kimball. If you don't, don't worry, many haven't. But Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who was very intentional with every single young boy that he got the chance to teach. And one, young, one young man in particular that Edward had a chance to lead to the Lord was Dwight Moody, who ultimately went on to become an evangelist. And Moody, would he reached two continents preaching the gospel, and he saw thousands say yes to following Jesus. And someone who was saved under Moody's ministry was a man named Wilbur Chapman. And Chapman would also go on to become an evangelist. And one day, there was a professional basketball player, baseball player rather, who had a day off named Billy Sunday, who heard Chapman preach when he attended one of his meetings. And right there in that moment, Billy Sunday gave his life to Jesus, ultimately leading him to quit baseball. And he became a part of Chapman's team. Now, Chapman uh, responded uh, to a call of lead, leading a church uh, and pastoring, so he left to go pastor, which now Billy stepped in to lead the evangelistic crusades. So now, through that, there was another, another young man named Mordecai Ham. Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he had a week of crusades. And although people responded to the gospel presentation, it wasn't quite like he wanted or anticipated it being. But one of the young men who did respond to the gospel presentation was somebody named Billy Graham. And we know that name. Billy would ultimately become an evangelist and in his lifetime would preach to more people than any person who has ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. The number of people who have heard Graham present the gospel message is over 2.2 billion people. Family, never underestimate the power of just one. Think about what God could do with one life. Think about what God could do with one yes. Think about what God could do with just one simple act of obedience. Think about what God could do in you and through you with just your yes to what he's calling you to. We set the stage for others to encounter Jesus when we live with compassion. So think if we just all live with compassion and to be reflecting how our Savior lived. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Family, all it takes is one. All it takes is us choosing to live with passion, have a passion for prayer, have a passion for praise and worship and have a passion for others. Can we be the good Samaritan in the good Samaritan story? Can we be not like the priest and the temple worker who passed on the other side because they were too busy, but can we be the ones who slow down? Can we be the good Samaritan and can we pick up the hurting? Can we pick up the broken? Can we pick up the marginalized? Can we pick up the forgotten ones? Can we pick up the lost ones? Can we use the resources that God has given? Can we care for them? Can we pray for them? Can we take them to the place where they can find healing, find purpose, and realize who God is and who he wants to be in their life? That all happens when we have a passion for God. And I'll say this. 
Our passion isn't determined by what others say. It's determined by what God has done. That when we look across the landscape and we just see the faithfulness of God, that it moves us in such a way that I can't help but live with passion.